Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's happening, guys? Jake Burns, live again. We're here on a Monday night. We're here to talk about a myriad of different things around the draft and really still kind of talking about building the Browns because it's so rare for for uh, insight to be given the way that insight was given. And I, I particularly find this whole string of, of decisions that the Browns made really interesting. And we're going to call some attention to our, our show, our draft show, to talk about a little of where we were right in this whole thing because – you know, Stephen puts in a ton of work that we're going to have on here, Browns Mock, in just a moment. You know, it's going to be a little bit uh, wonky because we're going to be on the screen and then also on the screen. It's going to be like inception of, of draft conversation here. But we're going to talk about a little bit of what we were right about and why we put in the time that we put in, specifically Stephen, who puts in a ton of time, a ton of work, and I just kind of have conversations with him about him. I did get a new haircut. Somebody noticed. My wife took care of my haircut. Um, anyway, it was pretty ugly before. Uh, so. Um, yeah, what I, what I want to talk about is where we were right, because I think there's a lot of study that goes into this, and you guys devote your time to listening to us talk about it, and we want to prove that we do have a feeling of what we're talking about. So I'm going to welcome in Browns Mock. Mr. Stephen Thomas, how are you? I'm good. I'm, a, I'm in awe of the new haircut. Um, if, it, if you can improve it a little bit more, it can be uh, in the same league as your glorious beard. It's not quite there yet, but uh, you know it's young, so it's, it has developable traits, I think. It's a face for radio. It's what I always say. You know, the cliche, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the golden boy for that cliche. So, yeah, I get free haircuts. The wife is uh, fantastic at her job, so I take advantage of that, you know. So get a little perk here and there. But, Steve, what I want to ask about, man, as we kind of get into this thing is is your takeaways of, of building the Browns because I think it's a, it's a rare view inside what goes on on draft night. I mean, as far as the communication goes, the process goes, it was crazy – to even see them preparing Andrew Barry for the idea of, of his wife being in the midst of labor and, and having those things. So like, you know, what were your takeaways that you kind of want to put on the, on the airwaves here? Yeah. Right. I mean, they had a backpack apparently with a, uh, a battery pack and, and all kind of a router that he would carry. Boy, I, you know, I, I mean, husbands have done some stuff while their wives are in labor that the wives hold over their heads for years and years and years. But I think he would have he would have been the grand champion. I mean, I, as much as she would have understood, it would have been like, really, really, you're talking trades <laughs> with the Panthers while I'm the, OK. You know, he would have never won an argument again the rest of his life. Um, but no, I think, yeah, I'm with you. I was surprised how much they showed. And obviously they were very careful uh, with their editing and everything, not to give away anything. We never saw anything in the background, no accidental shots of the board or, you know, anything like that. But I think the raw emotion, especially for the JOK pick, um, I think they were as shocked as we all were that, that he was in that range. I don't think they ever expected him to get there. Uh, the, the impression that I got from the conversation they had on there was that they thought, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe somebody they liked, you know, had graded day one would fall into the range of the 40s or something like that. But A, I don't think they thought, thought it would be JOK. And B, I definitely don't think they thought whoever it was would fall past 50. Um, and so it's nice to know, like you said at the beginning, we want to talk about where we were right. It was nice to hear Depot and some of those guys say some things that, you know, we basically said for months and months and said on our broadcast. So we're, we're apparently interpreting their stuff right. And when we try to say <laughs> things like, 
you know, we're, this is how we think they would do it. Like we're trying to think like them. Apparently we're at least, you know, relatively close some of the time. And that's, that's nice to hear. Well, let's, let's get into that right now. Let's, let's have that conversation, which is on day two coverage, we noted that if he kept falling, this is where it could get interesting. And this was uh, your comment. Uh, and listen, we're low budget here. We're, we're two guys with, with a camera and trying to figure out how to get audio to work. I have new software, so my system audio is not working. So I got to put my headphone in the case, and then the audio will play through my computer. And just, uh, just be thankful we're here. So anyway, here we go. I want to play what Steven <laughs> said about trading up. And then we're going to talk to you about what Deep Podesta said, who was way more focused in this thing than I thought he would be. He was a front and center focal point of this whole thing, which is awesome to see there in lockstep. But I want to play this for you, and then let you see if it sounds familiar. So hang on a second. Short system break, and we're going to play this. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, JOK, obviously. Ojolari, if the knee thing is not real, uh, they still need to find another edge, I think. Um, Joseph Asai is still there. Apparently, they, we've learned from Lane, they've done a ton of work on Terrace Marshall Jr., so we know they like him quite a bit. It's all a question of where is the tradable range. You know, we were talking last night estimating like 43, 44-ish, was probably where it gets to the point where you don't have to give up a ton. Because right now, to get to where it is now, 36, 37, wherever the Eagles are, I mean, you're talking 59, 91 plus. Uh, you know, and I just, I don't know that there's anybody that, that Andrew Berry loves that much. Now, you start to get into the early and then the mid-40s if some of these guys are around. Now, you're starting to, I mean, whether or not a deal gets made is another story, but I think he's at that point going to be picking up the phone and, and at least checking in. But yeah, JOK... At this point, I mean, we, I, you and I said we would have been okay with him at 26. So if they can get him with a trade-up at 44 wherever, I would be more than okay with that. So that's where it gets really interesting to me is that you made this perfect call um, on this, this angle. And what was said, you know, what was said from, from Dee Podesta was something along the lines of when Jeremiah looked like he was going to, you know, uh, he was, you know, picked a, he was lasting he got to pick 40 and 42 44 you know we at that point thought it was probably time to start making some calls and when we got closer to 50 we thought okay we just need to say someone to say yes um said he's in the range right now where you know days ago we had we had deemed that was an acceptable price to pay for a player of his caliber if they got to this area in the draft we were fortunate that 52 we got to 52 and, you know, found a trade partner that he was still on the board when we got to that pick. So, hey, man, a lot of things you were saying were true. And you've been saying that, Steve, <laughs> forever, which is it, it, essentially if they get – they probably won't trade up from the early portion. You know, they, they probably won't trade up from 26. And there's highlights of day one where Steve and I are talking. And I think the Titans are up. Jared asked the question. I'm not going to jump back to it just because it's – it's like at the end of our, the, the Titans are picking. They ended up picking Farley. And they said, with who's on the board now, who would you pick? We both said Newsom. It just made too much sense. So, you know, listen, we're not trying to be the people who ultimately self-retweet and do all those things and love up on it. But we have an idea of what they're thinking. And it's not rocket science. There were other people thinking similar things. We're not the right. only ones who threw out Newsom. We weren't the only ones who threw out moving up for JOK as he lasted. But it's like, okay, we do have an idea of the pattern by which they're going to do something. So, that was really neat to see that we were pretty spot on with it. I personally, Steve, was not surprised by a pick. I know Brown's Twitter's been into Anthony Schwartz for a while. And again, huge shout out to Jeff Lloyd, our good friend at Locked on Browns, for saying he's going to be a Brown. That's my call-out shot. Like, that's 
really cool. They picked him at 91, and we again, we all thought they wanted somebody with the speed. And you saw Stefanski in building the Browns go, hey, B, that's huge. Like They wanted him. There was like a clear desire to get him. Did they want maybe Nico Collins who win a couple picks sooner? Maybe. But I think for the, the role that he fits, I think they were really genuinely excited to get him and add him to this team. And I think that, in my opinion, uh, was a nice little insightful look at the offense. And again, we were right on. I wasn't surprised even until the James Hudson pick. And I, I get it now. I mean, I totally get it. But that was the first pick where I was like, hmm, okay, I guess I could see it. I uh, needed to look at it, but I can see it. Was that kind of where you were too? I mean, I know we didn't expect to get JOK at pick 52, but we had talked about the range of an acceptable player, right? Right. Yeah. And it was, I think even at the beginning of night two, when we looked at, you know, the, we thought it was just a ridiculous amount of talent still on the board. We were like, oh, well, you know, if this guy falls to 44 and that guy falls, and I think maybe we mentioned JOK at the top of the night, but I don't think any of us realistically thought it would happen. I thought we thought, you know, it would probably go Elijah Moore, JOK, Aziz in the first couple of picks. So uh, we thought they might move up for a guy. We thought for a long time that a trade-up from 59 or 89-91 was more likely than a trade-up from 26. But, yeah, no, if you had said, hey, go ahead, make a bold prediction. They're going to trade up for JOK at 52. I would have said, keep your money. That That's insane. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and Schwartz, again, uh, we all talked – wide receiver in that 89 91 110 range and i think mostly the reason uh that we were surprised if that's the word we want to use by hudson is that for months we had said yeah they might take a, a lineman but probably later like a like a developmental we were thinking like 169 maybe or or 211 was probably more because we were so focused on getting another corner or adding a safety we wanted to add in those first four or five picks, we, as fans, wanted them to add at least two, maybe three defensive backs, along with a couple defensive linemen. So we just really didn't even look that hard at the offensive linemen in that range. But like you said, um, I, I was, I was, I knew his name. I knew very little about him, so I was kind of yeah. surprised by the pick. But after uh, they picked him, and I watched a little bit on YouTube, and then I read your uh, film room, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes perfect sense because, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe he'll take a while before you can really count on him if that's the phrase you want to use. But he's a seamless fit skill-wise into the scheme in case something happens. And uh, from what I can see anyway, he can back up at least four of the five spots. Um, I don't know if he can snap the ball or not, but he can play some guard if, if he has to, you know, sort of the Chris Hubbard-ish type role uh from last year yeah i was um that's that listen that's spot on and and we'll we've talked about these guys they picked and we'll keep talking about them i threw a tin foil thing your way steve where i said some you know what we do is we pick this stuff apart you know i think that i've watched it like five times i just want to watch as much as i can and pick up on little wrinkles and like what i found interesting is ultimately the first thing i tweeted about was the cohesion and just guys that First things first, like guys who are on the same page, like like from D Podesta all the way down. And, and I think D Podesta is a chief strategy officer, but I think he really focuses on the draft. Above all else, he focuses on the draft and making things easier for Andrew Barry. And I just really like that there's no, you know, with previous regimes that have been here, maybe the one with John Dorsey, I just don't think they would have loved D Podesta being focused on. Like, I just don't think they would have liked that public sentiment to be out there. So, when they did that, that tells me like these guys don't have egos. There's nobody cares about the spotlight other than winning football games. They want the players to be the focus, not having 
John Dorsey's got a lot of great things about him, but like he liked the attention. He made his own custom sweatshirts and he had his own outfit and like he liked the attention, you know? So that's just the difference of this group from the past group is just they're just egoless people uh, getting on the same page about what they want to do. And then like, so you can see how just how great they, they bonded. You can see also, in my opinion, is like we've seen previous coaching regimes between Freddie Kitchens and what Hugh Jackson was dealing with, especially when we got an inside look at the Hard Knocks stuff of guys that just really don't like each other that much and don't view the game the same way. And I think that this team, at least this, from what we saw through the position coaches when they showed Jason Tarver, when they showed the defensive backs coach, his name's escaping me off the top of my head right now, but like when they showed him and he's just really pumped and he's shaking hands with Pete DePodesta, dapping him up about picking uh, Greg Newsom, like they, they are on the same page completely about everything that they're doing with this draft and and like it's probably trickling into everything that they're doing collectively so that part of things is really exciting to me right like um you know that that part of things is awesome and then like i threw the tinfoil hat thing at you which was like the the way kevin stefanski said i went back and read x and x's scouting report on owusu cormo and it was explosive 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 and the way they watched there was a clip that we have all seen I think JOK lights up a swing pass against Florida State or something along those lines. Maybe Louisville. There's a couple of these plays he had where he someone doesn't see him coming and he just lays a shoulder into him. And like Joe Wood saw it and was like, boom, like almost like he'd never seen it before. And I thought thought to myself, okay, maybe he's either pumped about it's draft night and this is the guy we're getting, and boom, look at that hit. Or B, do they scout as much from the coaching side as we think they do? I don't know. So I was like, okay, has Kevin not really talked to enough people about this is he really like are they are they really making sure their coaching staff just focuses on who's there and how you're going to get better in the year ahead and it's more we want our scouts our gm our player personnel glenn cook our assistant vp or our vp of um um uh, i cannot remember what what Queasy's name uh, title is escape me last night it's escape me again today football operations operations do they want those guys being the people who are truly focused on their draft board because if you hear kevin stefanski talk he always says kudos to ab and his guys for how they handle the draft board so like what i'm getting at is i'm not saying they draft jok or they don't they draft greg newsom without going to to joe woods and being like hey man what do you think of this guy? They're getting his opinion, but maybe they're not as involved as people think they are. Where we study them all, we see all of it. Maybe they don't ultimately study them really deeply and they get, hey, give me 15 clips, you know? I, give me 15 clips of JK. I just want to see him from some scouting director or something. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I would just be curious. They, they could be playing it up for the camera, which is fine. I, I that, That's completely normal. But I just would be curious how much time those guys, the coaching staff, the leaders of the coaching, the OCDC head coach, special teams, how much time they spend truly scouting these guys. Or is it truly the scouts, Andrew Barry, and those guys? Because that's just an interesting thing to me. I just kind of threw that tinfoil hat theory at you last night, and I thought your response was great. So go ahead and share we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think you're a little tinfoily on that they don't look at them that much. It might. I think it does. There's a good chance it tilts more towards uh, the analytic people, the the Andrew Barry and his team, and the scouts and all that kind of stuff, because that's what they're there for. You know, that's the main focus of their job. Kevin and Joe, the main focus of their job is coaching, obviously. And but I mean, obviously, they're heavily involved in all that stuff. Um, I think the reaction was more just excitement to be perfectly honest with you, um, because, I mean, you know, we're all football fans. They're football fans, too. They're coaches. They're involved at a level we can't understand. But they're still fans. They like the game or they wouldn't be in on it. I think um, sure. what you were saying before, though, to go back to your thing about the egoless building, um, I, I think it's an extension of what we saw last year. Because, you know, last year, for so many reasons, was a unique situation. And for a first-year GM head coach to handle it the way they did and have the success that they did is pretty astounding. But we saw through the course of the season, and you and I said this on the pod a few times, uh, many people said it on Twitter, Kevin, when things went right, he deflected to the players. That's all yep. the players doing this, the players that take get the credit, the players this, the players that. When things went wrong, he took the blame off of his players. And I think that's an extension of what we saw in this episode of Building the Browns. It's just a mindset that I I don't care who gets the credit if we're stacking W's. Because if we're stacking W's, there's going to be enough credit to go around for everybody. That's that's what's best for everybody. If, If everybody wins, I don't care if I'm the guy in the spotlight, you know. What difference does that make? And I think if you have a whole building of people like that, you can have a a draft night like they did. Because one of the things that I noticed was, except for, oh, my God, I can't believe it's JOK. I think they were genuinely surprised by him being the guy that fell. I think they thought somebody would, but I don't think they thought it would be him. But outside of that, there was excitement, but no surprise. Anyway, there was no Anybody, there was no, uh, no, we like this guy. You know, there was no, you didn't have to talk anybody into it. You didn't have to, it was everybody come, every single person that came out of their office was just like fired up, like, like we were on our couches. And so that to me, like you said, it promotes and, and, and it looks like there's a lot of cohesion. And if you're all rowing in the same direction, the boat gets there faster, man. So, uh, you know, I'm with you on all of your points. I just think, I wouldn't. I would not go as far as to say maybe they haven't scouted them as heavily as we have. I would say that maybe the other side, the the scout side, the analytic side, the you know the nerd side, if that's the one you want to use, maybe they scout more than the coaches do because the coaches have to worry about their coaching. If that makes sense, it absolutely does. I, I definitely think there's there's going to be split up. They, they can't scout all these guys. They just can't. Their job is not to do that. Their job is to prepare the offseason, prepare for OTA minicamp with the rookies coming up, prepare for the other OTAs when the guys get there, the mandatory minicamps, everything. There's so much on their plate that they can't. I am sure in their free time when they're sitting around, hey, uh, you know, hey, AVP, come in here, man. Let's look at some wide receivers. Let's talk about some guys we would like who fits our system. There's meetings. I, I, I just would love 
love, love, love to get details on how they do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they'd be willing to share. Be Probably not a not not a ton, but just getting input on how they go about it, the meetings they have, how many, how much scout influence is there would just be really fun to me. It just would be a great thing. And maybe they do. Maybe they, they, they've done a great job with sharing so much that maybe they do ultimately end up doing that, um, uh, you know, that, that exercise and giving us more insight on that. So uh, we're going to shift gears. We have a draft show coming up, uh, a draft show. that, Jeez, we just had the draft show. Jeez. Uh, we have a schedule show. They're going to release an NFL schedule with an extra game this year just for fun. They're going to release it, and we're going to do a show looking at the schedule when it comes out specifically, and we are going to talk about um, the picks they may, or sorry, the, the picks the NFL makes for where they put the Browns and what time. There's some rumors that we have heard at the OBR about a potential prime time trip to Kansas City on week one, maybe a Sunday night game, something like that. We have heard. But anyway, I know that the Cleveland Browns and uh, hosting site, Nathan Zagura, who we love, who's been great to me and great to all of us, is doing their own show. And that's great. If you want to join them, that's cool. Uh, we are also going to do one simultaneously where we talk about the schedule, look at it, wins, losses, predict what we think is going to happen, because why wouldn't we just go crazy and predict things five, six, seven months out from the season? <laughs> but we're going to talk about some things that are you know, that are going to be fun. They're going to have games in the bright lights, and we want to talk about them. And hopefully you guys will join us and throw some questions in your own comments into the whole thing. And I just want to talk to Steve real quick because I'm not sure I'm going to get him before the draft. Or Jeez, God, we talk about draft too much. Talk about his opinion on the schedule before we get to the schedule, the opponent. So I just wanted like – just a couple games on there that really catch your eye, which you're, what you're most interested in this year. Well, all of them. I mean, I, I want to see which home games are at what time of the year because hopefully, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all that other stuff, uh, I can try to come back for one again this year. I didn't get the chance to do that last year, obviously. So uh, the home games uh, around the holidays, when I can wrap it into a trip with the family, would be perfect. But as far as the other stuff, I'm very curious about the Packers game for um, – obvious reasons uh you know Aaron has has been uh in the news just a little bit so they're an interesting team to watch and if he does stick around um it will be a you know a team that if the Browns become what we all think they're capable of being potentially somebody they could meet you know out here next February in that uh, big special game with the name that I'm not going to say right now um (laughs) so that would be I mean at minimum it would be an interesting measuring stick especially if it's later in the season You know, uh, let's see where they stack up against the best of the best of the best. Uh, And that would be the same thing for the Kansas City game. Nothing like getting thrown into the fire and, you know, uh, uh, trying to stop that opening weekend loss streak. You know, let's make it as hard as we possibly can. Um, But for me, also the Charger game, obviously, because, you know, SoFi is like less than 45 miles from my house. Um, and I know every, apparently everybody in Brown's Twitter is going to stay in my guest room. They've all DM'd me over the past couple of months and told me that since we learned they were coming here. So I hope you guys like sharing because, uh, we only have a certain amount of room, but, uh, also I want to, I, one, I want to see the stadium cause it just looks ridiculous. I want to see that, but two, to be able to see them out here, go to a, an away game with a fan base that, you know, uh, you never want to be the away team, but it's not like we're going someplace where they're, you know, they're going to throw bottles at us and we're going to get in a fight in the parking lot or anything like that. Uh, you know, uh, so that would be nice. And plus, you know, if, if one or two of you guys comes out here and we have a good time and and grab a couple beer, you know, come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. So I don't know. I mean, they're all interesting. I want to see how they match up against the Ravens with an improved defense um, uh, because obviously there are at least we all think on paper, they're the uh, main competition within the division. Um, I mean, the AFC North teams are all fun just because they're similar cities and similar fan bases and that kind of stuff. But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, every single game is going to be interesting to me. Um, and they have they have the Patriots, right? They do have New England, yes. They have New England. That's always an interesting game, too, because regardless of who's playing quarterback, who's not playing quarterback, all that kind of stuff, you, you cannot let your guard down for half a second when Hoodie's on the other sideline. So that's always an interesting game right there. Um, and if they can go in there and exercise some of those past demons of the, you know, the last minute comeback from eight years ago or whenever that was and, and the loss a couple of years ago that they should have won during the Freddie years, um, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff, that would be an interesting measuring stick for their mental standpoint as well. A couple of fun trivia questions. Last time the Browns were in uh, Green Bay, what year was it? Oh, 1980? <laughs> no, don't <laughs> say too crazy. They went to they went to these two teams. They went. I was curious the last two times they went to Minnesota and Green Bay. Uh, they went to Green Bay and in, in both Green Bay and Minnesota in 2013. So that was the last time they were there. Uh, they beat Minnesota 31-27, and then Green Bay beat them. They beat them in OT 27-21. No, that that was sorry, that was 2017. They beat. They beat oh they beat the crap out of Cleveland that year thirty one thirteen I have no recollection of Cleveland playing in Minnesota that season twenty thirteen the leading rusher was Josh Aubrey thirty four yards on one carry Chris Obanaya with two carries twenty three yards wasn't that the year that uh, uh, they hit uh, that Gordon caught the touchdown with like twenty something seconds left or so it was like a last minute win or something like that wasn't that the he, he, he did game? go he he did go ten for one forty six in the touchdown so it could be I don't have much yeah. of a recollection. Jordan Cameron had six for sixty six and three touchdowns so uh there's a little bit of that sprinkled in. I mean it, it looks like Spencer Lanning on a fake punt to to him. He had eleven yard touchdown throw. So <laughs> listen these you go back and look at these these things are wild. The Browns hadn't played the Packers since twenty seventeen when they Lost, if you recall, in overtime when mm. Deshaun Kaiser tried to to float back in the pocket for a for a late throw and got just drilled and mm-hmm. uh, and dropped the football. And they ended up scoring a couple plays later. Quarter lead, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, not Aaron Rodgers. That was Brett Hundley started yep. that game, and then uh, they went to London and played the Vikings last. So. Right. Uh, that was the game over there. Case Keenum, starting quarterback for the Vikings that season. So, mm. yeah, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to, you know, I I think it's always going to be interesting. when the, I, I love that the Raiders are coming back to Cleveland. I just want to get back at them. I thought that loss was really unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, those trips to – I'm a huge the, – getting Stefanski back with Minnesota will be fun. I think that'll be interesting. They also do, as people were pointing out, the 17th game's not listed on there. That game will be fun as well. The Cardinals come to Cleveland. So, mm-hmm. that game with, you know, Kyler and – Hopkins and and JJ Watt coming to Cleveland now as a part of choosing to go somewhere else. That'll be a really fun game. So, um, yeah, the schedule release we're not going to talk about anymore. We're going to do the whole schedule release show. We'll go live that night. We'll talk for an hour or two. We'll see how much insight you guys have when talk about it. We'll talk about some of the data behind how they did last year and one score games and some different things like that. We'll have Cody on. Uh, our guy Cody Sweck on our nerd residential OBR nerd to talk about some of those data points behind those one law or those one score games that the Browns were actually a little bit misleading. And uh, cause some teams, the swing back and forth between one, one score games year to year can be really crazy. And Cleveland had quite a few of them, but they also let people back in games. So the data behind that's kind of fun. Anyway, this was fun. We had a, a you know, close to hundred people join us and it's a little late night here on the East coast. Some people are down coast to settling down by nine o'clock. So it was a little late, but for the most part, a pretty good show. We had um, 
Uh, some really good stuff on building the Browns. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And then we are going to continue, as always, when we bring Mr. Brown's mock draft on to talk about the draft because that's what we do. Eventually, we'll turn the page to 2022, but we are not even in the ballpark yet. We're going to still talk about these guys they've acquired and talk about what we hear from them in rookie minicamp coming up because I think that most of them will be there, if not all of them, because these guys want to pre- they want to play. They want to get active and uh, they want to see Cleveland and they want to put on a show for coaches, especially the guys who are fringe players, you know, all the way sixth, fifth round on and and uh, the undrafted free agent guys who just want to prove themselves. So again, we'll be back tomorrow night. I think we're going to, there's going to be an OBR weekly show. Uh, our, our guy, Barry McBride and Fred Greetham and Lane, Lane Atkins will be on there. I'm going to get Lane on this show Thursday night as well to take user questions. He'll be joining us. So uh, we'll have a lot of fun. We're going to shout out to our good friend, Jared Mueller, who is, who is no longer going to be with the OBR, who's taking a great step for, I think will be a great uh, thing for his career. Jared has been at the OBR for a long time, five years, well longer than me and Steve and has done fantastic work for this website and um we're gonna miss him and I, we wish him the best he will he will let you know in the short term here where he's going and all of that exciting stuff but we just want to give jared a shout out i'll pour out my drink for him uh that Happy we love trail, man Hans. yeah <laughs> yeah we we uh we're gonna miss you we're definitely gonna miss you brother so um yeah anyway thanks for joining us steve you're the man thanks for coming on anytime bro all right man we're gonna sign out guys we'll catch you tomorrow until then go browns